invite you to come to Hebrews chapter 13. I did debate whether to take this in one big gulp or several small gulps, bites, I guess. I chose the big gulp. <clears throat> so we're going to take it all at one sitting. I think it's not going to be too uh, fattening a meal, but just right. It'll be helpful for us to point out a few themes as we come to the last section in our study in Hebrews. Let me invite you to follow along with the ear, the eye, and the brain, and even better, the soul. Let's come to hear from the author of Hebrews and from our God these words. We'll begin in verse 1, read the whole of the chapter. We are told, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought in the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting or no enduring city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with, with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, bear with me my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. That's the reading of God's word. Let's now pray and ask him to bless us as we hear and receive. Oh, Lord, show us 
The marks of faith show us the signs of a heart transformed and renewed by your spirit and your word. I pray he would give us this last word of exhortation, this word of encouragement, this word that calls us, and this word that gives us the ability to respond to that call. I pray that you would let us hear now and receive from Christ the grace and the gift that you have. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, last chapter, final chapter here. We come to the end. We come to the end of a book that really presses home two things. I've mentioned them before, so I don't think they're too surprising. It presses home first the reality that Jesus Christ is superior to anything else. Christ is better. Christ is greater. He's better than all the old stuff. He's the best of the new stuff. But second, it presses home the reality that there's a call here. There's a call incumbent upon Christians to continue, to persevere, to keep going, to keep the faith. And so we come to this closing chapter, and it's important to realize that we've seen in the last couple of chapters, well, just think about chapter 11. What have we seen? Chapter 11, we saw a whole long list of examples of faith, illustrations of faith, the great cloud of witnesses. And then chapter 12, we gained encouragement. Don't grow weary. Lift up your drooping heads. And now we come. Examples, encouragements, and now finally we get evidences or signs, signs of faith. That's really his topic. He, he said, look, this is what the faith it looks like in people's lives. He, he's encouraged us to, co- to continue on in that faith that we worship in heaven itself. And now he says, okay, how do we apply it? He concludes like a good preacher, I guess, with application. And as he moves from topic to topic, it's, he, it seems a bit random at points, but I think we can discern four major themes that uh, we glimpse the signs of Christianity. Four signs, I guess, if you want to think about it that way. Let me give you the first sign. The sign that we're actually applying our faith. First, a pervasive love. A pervasive love. A love that is pervasive. It's interesting that he starts here. This is verse 1 to verse 5. He starts here with a pervasive love it's funny because he, he's been, the book of Hebrews is a big, high, exalted, glorious book. It's a complicated book in some ways, but it's a beautiful book. It's a height of heaven style book. We've just been in Mount Zion in the last chapter. We've gone to Mount Sinai. We've been at two heavy mountains. We've been behind the veil of God Almighty. We've been into the presence of Christ. We've seen what Christ himself is doing at this very moment right now on our behalf. How is he going to top chapter 12? I mean, if you were writing this, how would you top what just happened? Our God is a consuming fire. Let's worship him with reverence and awe. What could he do to go beyond that? It's interesting that, that his tactic to go beyond that is actually to bring it back down to earth with a thud. The tactic to go beyond the highest exalted worship service you've ever been to is to bring it back down to reality. A solid bump, a challenging bump to the very ordinary relationships that you and I have here on earth. 
He does not end in heaven, but he ends in the here and now. Because he doesn't just want to give us a, a, a spiritual high and then kind of leave us. He wants to show you how to live, well, how to live over the holidays with family and friends and neighbors and Christians and prisoners. Let's look at it, okay? Five places for us to show love. Verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. He said our love should be seen among the brethren, in the congregation, in the church. People loving each other as brothers. Verse 2. Second. Don't neglect to show hospitality, literally stranger love. Don't neglect to show stranger love to strangers. He moves from brothers to strangers. We're to show love of the foreigner, love of the person who's not like us, love of the refugee. You know, there were no, despite what you might think about when you think of the Christmas story, there weren't really hotels in the ancient world like we have today. I mean, they had inns, but they were not respectable. They had B&Bs that you would never want to go into. Inns were notorious. They were dirty. They were expensive. They were immoral. And so, therefore, there was a need for Christians to show actual love of strangers. Now, let me be very clear here, since I speak to uh, a southern audience, mostly. We read in verse 2, Some have entertained angels unawares. Let's have a little chat about what entertaining actually is. It's not Martha Stewart. It's not Rachel Ray. It's not Gordon Ramsay. It's not whoever your favorite uh, cooking person is. It's not setting out the fine china and making it all fancy. It's not cleaning up the house and getting it all spick and span. It's not to say you can't vacuum up the dog hair. I speak to myself. But... That's not the requirement. It's simply opening our homes to those who aren't like us. It's challenging for me as it is for you. But I recall how precious it was as a student living away from home when folks opened their homes to me up in the north. Of course, the same for us as well. Those who are single, those who need hospitality, those who are lonely, those who are students living away. Third, First, the brethren. Second, strangers. Third, verse 3. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. They need to care for those in prison. Prisoners. Those in prison. The early church, part of it we don't really think about very often, but the early Christians would often take a, take a love offering. They would take money to free Christians from prison. They would, they would buy Christians out of Roman jails. It's not a practice we may be familiar with, but they would do that. And the ones they couldn't pay for, they would go and they would serve behind bars. Remember those in prison. We think of criminals and we think of them as bad people, perhaps. Not like us. We're free. We're not on the lamb. I hope. If you are, it's okay. You can come talk to me. Most of us aren't in prison, though. And yet the command here includes go to those who are in prison. Brothers, strangers, prisoners, verse 4 a little bit of a twist. Marriage. He says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. God will judge sexually immoral and adulterous. There should be love in marriage. Love in the church, love of the stranger, love of the prisoner, love in marriage. Marriage should be honored, kept pure. You're to work at building strong and friendly and pure marriages. Verse 5. 
in case he hasn't offended you yet. Now he gets to the really dangerous part. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Keep your life free from the love of money. How relevant is that for us today? We live in a society as perverse about money as we are about love, about marriage. Greed, competition, corporate mindsets and metrics, the numbers, just as deadly as any controversial question about marriage. Keep your life free from the snare of money. Five places, five places for Christian love to be displayed. The point simply here is that one of the key signs we have that we're a Christian, one of the evidences of our faith is our love. It's meant to be pervasive. It's not meant to simply be for church people or for strangers or for prisoners or in your marriage or with your cash. You may be good at one or two of those. And if you're really loving, maybe three or four of those. But the challenge is, of course, this is a pervasive love. It's a pervasive love, a 360-degree, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week kind of love. You see, one of the dangers that we have as Christians, I say this hesitantly, is that we love our Bible studies too much. We love our book studies too much. We love our podcasts too much. I speak again to myself. We love uh, YouTube videos too much. We love learning about the Word of God. And yet, how often do we spend time with the Word of God? We love learning about the Word. There's, or we like listening to sermon sermons on the radio or watch videos of some really engaging teacher on the uh, on the computer on the tv screen but sometimes studies and sermons and videos as helpful and as beneficial as they can be they can substitute for real engagement with god's word real engagement with god's people real engagement and worship with the lord in zion that's why the writer shows us here there should be a deep connection between the word you, you look at and the word you study and the faith that is shown. We are called here to be better husbands and better wives, to open our homes to non-Christian neighbors. Notice this. This is the challenge, to open your home to non-Christian neighbors without becoming like them in the two key areas of our society, money and marriage. Can you do that? How, how can you do that? I mean, parents, isn't that your worry that you invite somebody over and they're a stranger, they're a weird person, and who knows what they might blurt out in front of your kids? Ugh, it could be scary. And yet we see here a pervasive, radical love is called for. Second, that's the first theme, the love. Second, this text shows us the price we have to be paid. There's a price. There's a price. There's a cost, if you will. There's a cost to be paid, a price to be paid. Think about it, just in these five areas. Not everybody in the church is easy to love. You have to bite your tongue and pray to love us, difficult people. It's not easy to welcome strangers into your home. You'll notice, the, however, the author of Hebrews does not say, show hospitality only if you have the gift of hospitality. That's not in the text. He assumes it actually is something that everybody should show in one way or another. It's not a gift. It's a mark of a Christian. It's hard to sacrifice your free time to 
to go to jails and prisons to meet those who are criminals, for example. It's hard to fight the temptations of a world that loves pleasure. It's hard to work at being free from the love of money. To give, we don't feel like it. To help the needy, a price has to be paid. That's the point. There's a cost here. And the author hits on that price in the rest of the chapter. He he does it, for example, in verse 7. He talks about memory. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Now, I I don't think he's talking here about a kind of uh, nice pastor who lives a long life and gets to go to heaven on their bed peacefully, surrounded by family and friends. That's a wonderful thing when that can happen. These are Christians who are undergoing social pressure and actual persecution. He's talking about the outcome of their way of life. What was the outcome of their being a Christian? They died, some of them. They were in prison, certainly many of them. They were robbed. They were spat upon. They were shamed. They were, well, martyred. He says, remember your leaders and their courage even unto death. Or or look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Skip down to verse 13. He says, let's go to Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. What is reproach? It's disgrace. Bear the mockery that Jesus Christ had to endure. We think, don't we, very often, if we're at all good Christians, all thoughtful Christians, we think about what Christ endured carrying his cross. We we think about it. We think about the mockery that he had to endure. But do we ever connect that truth with our lives? We are called here to be mocked. Do you like it when you're made fun of? I don't know anybody who likes it when they're made fun of. The Bible says you are to bear people making fun of you. You are to bear the reproach he endured. And he uses the image, of course, of this camp, outside the camp. That was the place in Israel where the lepers were put, where the unclean were put. That was the place where the bodies of the sin offering were thrown into. It was a garbage dump. It was a loathsome, disgusting place. It was the place, though, of Calvary. It was the place where Jesus was put. It's no accident that the officials chose the skull, that place, Calvary, to kill criminals. It was the place where our Savior was rejected by his people. And the author says, that's where we're going to go hang out. That's where we're going to be. That's what it means to be a Christian. You go to the skull place. You go to the place of social rejection. You go to the place of being uncool. You go to the place of stigma and persecution. You go and bear the cost of being rejected and thought a fool. So the question is, are you willing to go to Jesus Christ if it means you have to give up the materialism of the day? Are you willing to go to him and be thought unsuccessful or unintelligent? You know, some of us, again, I speak personally, don't mind being uncool, but to be thought stupid, that's our weakness. Others don't mind being kind of dumb, but never kind of uncool. Who, Who are the coolest ones in the room? Others of us, of course, don't mind being made fun of as long as we can beat somebody up. Or we can boast about our labor or our work ethic or our strength. And yet, no matter what you think your strength is, the reality, if you're a Christian, you will have to go and bear some sort of shame. That's what your Savior did. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time.
society may not understand your zeal for Christ. So go to him outside the camp and pay the price. Pay the price. The pervasive love, the price you got to pay. Third, the people. A people to be aware of. This whole chapter has tons of people in it. We don't know exactly where this little church was that the author of Hebrews wrote to. We don't know where they were living. We can make some guesses about their social situation. We know they've been kicked out of their uh, kind of ho- uh, their, their building. We know they're under persecution. They're being tempted to go back. We know some things about them, but we know this. They knew a lot of people. They knew a lot of people. They were not the Christian huddle circles that you sometimes find in Christian circles. They were not the Anabaptists who rejected the world, the Mennonites who rejected any interaction with the world. Instead, just listen to the whole chapter and see all the types of people that they dealt with. The family of the church, strangers, (coughs) foreigners, prisoners, verse 3, verse 7, leaders, Verse 18, pray for us. That's the author. Verse 23, our brother Timothy. He knows Timothy. They know him too. Verse 24, all your leaders, all God's people. Those who come from Italy, send greetings. What a wide circle of people. Past leaders, present leaders. Timothy, prisoners, strangers, all God's people. Those from Italy. It's a community. It's the big circle of God's people. It's a people that we need to be aware of as Christians. Hebrews reminds us, here's the point. Hebrews reminds us that we are part of a big kingdom. Do you have a big kingdom vision? Do you know that? Is that the truth that energizes your love? And what a world that needs to hear that because we live in a self-centered world. We live in a world where you can drive to work and you can... Get in your car in the garage. You can, un- you can click the garage door and watch it open. You can go to work in your car. You can work, come back home, put the car in the garage, close the garage door, and that's it. And then what happens? Well, you know this. If you have teenagers, if you have kids, what happens, parents? You know what happens. You go inside the house and you think, oh, we can all get together as one family. And that happens for about 10 minutes. And then what happens? I'm going to go up to my room. I need to go to my bedroom. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go play with my toys upstairs. And what do we have? Everybody goes to their own room. And the parents may be downstairs on the couch or whatnot, but there's no togetherness, even, even in our homes. right? There's so many families that there's no togetherness. It's a self-centered, sad, lonely world. And yet this chapter tells us that as Christians, you are never lonely. Not in this way, because you're always connected. You ought never to be. You're reminded that you're members of the vast family of God all across the world. Do you know one reason we pray for our missionaries? I give you one reason we pray for our missionaries. They pray for us. One reason we pray is they pray for us. We had a good report from... Some folks who went over to Newcastle, talked to our friends, the Wantrops, spent time at All Saints Church. We were told they prayed for us in their Wednesday night prayer meeting. They pray for us and we pray for them. Do you know that? People you you will never meet. People you will never meet are praying for you. This morning, before you look up, people were praying for you. 
asking for God's blessing upon the ministry of the word and the life of the body. And there are Christians in prison we should be praying for. Christian leaders, Christians who are being persecuted. Do you see that you are part of a worldwide people of God? Finally, we see there's a perspective. There's a pervasive love. There's a price to be paid. There's a people to be aware of. There's perspective that we have to maintain. I mean, this is a challenging chapter. If you just lift out all the commands, there's a lot of them. You can do it at home for homework. All the commands that are given, so many of them. Because the Christian life is a demanding life. It's a challenging life. It's a call to a pervasive love, a price, and a people. How do we cope with all this? This is practical, and yet it's so challenging. How do we cope with this? I think sprinkled throughout the chapter is the answer. I think the other sprinkles of the chapter, the answer that we are to look up. The perspective is that we are to look up in the middle of the ordinary day-to-day life and love and people and everything and the price we have to pay. How are we to bear it? Look up. We are called here to rely upon God's love as a father, the Savior's presence, the help of the Spirit, to remember the heaven we're traveling to. Remember chapter 12 that we are in Mount Sinai. We're going there as a pilgrim people. And this chapter, in the middle of all its down-to-earth, practical know-how, all the realism that it shows, it reminds us we cannot force practical labor. The kind of Christian labor that we're talking about here, the kind of Christian pervasive love, the ability to pay the price, it comes only by looking up. Let me show you. Look at verse 5. We'll start there. We're told that God has said, end of verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. Isn't that beautiful? Every day as you live out that pervasive love to all types of people, as you pay the price, God says, I am with you. No matter the position you're in, no matter the problem you have, no matter the issues you face, I am there. God's saying you'll never be in a situation that I'm not in also with you. There. Never. You'll never will. Do you believe that? And notice, by the way, what the author connects that with. The first part of verse 5. This is fascinating. He connects it with the first part of verse 5, which is all about Keep your life free from money's snares. Keep your life free from the love of money. He connects the, re- the practical reality of money with the high doctrine of God's omnipresence for his people. And he says, this is how you begin to be free from loving money too much. When you believe that God's with you, That changes how you use your finances. You're no longer Scrooge. You're no longer Scrooge. The grip they have on you, right? You're no longer Bill Gates. There are two types of ways money can have its grip on you. One is that you always keep it. The other is that you always give it because you're always trying to be a good person. Like That's what Bill Gates does. And both ways are wrong. Only God himself 
Only when you realize that God is the one who gives you every check you earn. Then you can say, I spend it as you have me spend it. I steward it as you have me steward it. I can give because I know that you are with me no matter the balance I have in my bank account. The Lord is my helper. Verse 6, I will not be afraid. Now look at verse 8. We read this. Second perspective shaping reality. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's a beautiful verse. You know this verse. It's a glorious truth. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is, in the technical sense, immutable. He does not change. He is the same. And so, what is the, what is the challenge that surrounds that perspective? There are two challenges here. Verse 7. Imitate the faith of your leaders who died. Verse 9, second part. Do not be led away by strange, by diverse, by false teaching. In their day like ours, there was plenty of false teaching. How do you resist it? How do you persevere and imitate faith? The answer is you go to the anchor. You go to the rock. You go to the refuge. You go to the safe place. You go to the fortress. You go to the friend. Jesus Christ is the same anchor, fortress, friend today as he was, as he will be. To put it simply, he is as compassionate to you as he was to the lepers we've been reading about in the Gospel of Mark in the mornings. He's as compassionate to you as he was to them. He healed the sick when he was on earth. He raised the dead when he was on earth. He forgave the guilty when he was on earth. Do you think he's changed? Just because you can't see him. You think he's changed? He's not changed. Not in this way. He's the same. That Jesus, our Savior, the same yesterday, today, forever. Third, I think I have five of these realities. Third, Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. This is a little tricky one. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. They would have gotten it because they have a Jewish background. We need to go back to our Old Testament to understand what's being said here. The old covenant priest had no right to eat the sin offering. Some offerings they could eat. On the sin offering, they had no right to eat it. It was forbidden. Only the blow is to be used the flesh of the animal would be taken outside the camp to the accursed place and put there. And the priest could not go outside the camp because they'd become unholy if they'd be in that area. And of course, what do we have? We have an altar that the priest cannot get into. Where's our altar? We read in verse 12 and verse 13. It's outside the gate. We go to the cursed place. It's a fascinating statement here. At the terrible place of the skull, at the place of Calvary, there is food. He said, he says, not there's food, actually. There's grace. There's soul food. There's soul food at Calvary. He says, as a Christian, you have something that the old covenant priest could never have. In the place of garbage, 
there's beauty. In the place of the skull, there is life and blessing and hope. And that's what's going to strengthen you as you go through a garbage life. As you go through a skeevy, sketchy life, what will strengthen you? The fact that in the dump is grace. In the place, what's the psalmist say? In the valley of the shadow of death? The same, same, same imagery in some ways. In the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou rob my staff, they comfort me. Same principle here. You go and you come and Christ feeds you in the dump. We have an altar. We have an altar. We have Calvary. We have Calvary. That's why. It's not because the garbage is somehow better. No, that garbage doesn't matter. It's because Christ gave his life there. He died. Fourth. Fourth perspective change. Verse 14. We do not have an enduring city here. We look to the city that is to come. We have no lasting city here. We are pilgrims on earth. We're not on earth forever. This world is not our home. We're not meant to be here forever. Your body will die. Why do our bodies decay and die? Because we're not meant to be here forever. And God always reminds us that our lives are short and we are bound for Zion. We are bound for the city that abides forever, the city that endures forever. And so you are to keep that always in mind. And then finally, verse 15, the fifth perspective change. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We live in a fast-paced world. We live in a busy world, a world of the clock that goes down to the nanosecond. What do we need that Hebrews tells us here in verse 15? We need a quiet place. You need a quiet place. You need a safe place. You need a place of calm. You need a place of worship through Jesus Christ where you can offer up a sacrifice of praise. Do you see this perspective change you need? Because you live in the practical world. You live in the ordinary life. You live in the middle of a price that has to be paid. You as a Christian have a cost that has to be counted with Christ. You live in the middle of all kinds of people. You live in the middle of a whole church across the world. You live in the middle of friends and brothers and neighbors and prisoners and near and far off. How are you to be a Christian then in the middle of all that? These five realities. God never leaves you. Christ is always the same. The place of death is the place of grace, the enduring city, the sacrifice of praise. Those five perspectives will lead us to actually live our lives with pervasive love, willing to pay that price. Conscience, not of our own, simply our own little circle, but of the whole people of God. Those are the marks of the Christian. And perhaps the greatest mark of the whole faith is the last word he gives. You notice he says amen, and he keeps on talking. (laughs) He just has more to say. But he concludes with this, verse 25. Grace be with all of you. Grace, the kindness of Christ, the mercy of Christ, is the power that enables us to stand against any foe. God's grace. God never loses sight of your practical needs, of your world. But he gives you a heavenly perspective, a heavenly view to meet those needs. So you and I, what are we to do now? having come to the end of this glorious letter, we're to live in this world in light of the world to come. Live in this world in light of the world to come. We do that powered by grace. So we come to the table. We come to the table. 
Let's pray. Father, you call us to be those who love. Love in a way the world has no idea. Love in a way that is scary. You call us to be those who pay the price with you. And that itself is, is terrifying if we think about it. You call us to recognize that we are not simply Christians for ourselves, but for a people. Father, we pray that you would give us the perspective of heaven as we come to this table where you feed us in the middle of a desert world. Strengthen us by your son. We ask it in his name. Amen.